Church, I love that song we just finished with, Divine Exchange. Just let me quote or requote a couple of those words we just sang. On the cross hung my pain and the guilt and the shame. Jesus bore my suffering to the grave to make me free. Well, the blood that was shed, it now flows to cover sin. It washes clean and purifies in his crimson tide. Jesus, he took my place in divine exchange. Hallelujah, grace is mine. Let those words sink in for a moment. You know, as we come together this Good Friday, there's no better place to bring our focus than to the central figure of the gospel story, Jesus Christ. But before we jump into the narrative that captures this remarkable exchange, I'm reminded of a time when I was a child and and I tried to exchange something that I, I wasn't quite pleased with and it didn't go so well. You know, I grew up in a small town in the east coast of Canada and we didn't have fast food uh, restaurants or chains, right? So you had that local one, you know, chicken shack or burger burger joint, right? And so it was one place, family owned, and uh, they had the greasiest burgers um, that I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. So you could go, you could get a greasy burger in one hand, and on the other hand, you could get one of 100 soft serve flavors. I bet you some of you now are thinking back to your childhood when you went into one of those places and got one of those soft serves. I miss them. They're amazing. Um, So I've been saving up my allowance And I saved some money that I earned from different uh, cleanup jobs for neighbors and whatnot. So I had some money and I head on over on a Saturday morning. I'm going to get myself a double cheeseburger. No pickles, no mustard, just ketchup, cheese, and meat on a bun. Just the way most, you know, 10-year-old boys like it. Um, I arrive, I place my order, and I'm standing there salivating because the aroma... In, in the restaurant is just amazing, right? It's just grease, right? And, and what 10-year-old boy wouldn't love that? Um, so I'm waiting. Uh, my order's paid for. Uh, the lady hands it to me. I run outside. I grab it with both hands. And I, I just rip into it, this, chomp down this huge bite. And to my dismay, I chomp down on a mouthful of pickles and mustard, gagging and spitting out the entire contents of my mouth. I exclaim, this is not what I ordered. So I run back inside to exchange it. And here's kind of what I remember, how it went down. I'm like, hi, my burger, it has pickles and mustard on it. I didn't order it that way. Can I exchange it and you make me a new one? And uh, the burger lady's reply is like, oh, honey, let me fix this for you. Um, Then she grabs the burger, she opens it up, and she says, well, you can't waste pickles as she eats the pickles off of my burger. Then she grabs a knife with one swipe, gets the majority of the mustard, then grabs some ketchup, squirts a little extra on, puts it together, wraps it up, and she's like, there you go, honey, that's your exchange, enjoy, and then goes on to the next customer. Partly in shock, um, mostly hungry, uh, I eat the rest of my burger, do my best not to get turned off by the remnants or the hints of pickle juice and mustard. Not the greatest of exchanges. You see, we generally initiate an exchange when we're, we're not pleased or we aren't pleased with something. What we purchased wasn't what we expected. And I hope most of your exchange experiences um, go better than mine did with the burger. So church, here's some good news. There is an exchange that is guaranteed. There is an exchange that is more than worth it. See, God recognized there needed to be a better way for the earth, for everything he created, for us. He he knew there was a better way for us to be restored into right relationship with him. You see, church, God's mandate from the fall in Genesis was to restore and recreate all things. He initiated 
a divine exchange. It wasn't pretty. It came at a huge cost. There was pain. There was death. Let's read how Matthew's gospel captures it in chapter 27. And I'm going to read it from the message because I love how it just flows like a story. And so, so join in with me as I read this text. It says, The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace, and they got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him, and they dressed him in a red toga. They plaited a crown from branches of a thorn bush, and they set it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. They knelt before him in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said, bravo. Then they spat on him, and they hit him on the head with the stick. When they had their fun, they, they took off the toga and put his own clothes back on. And then they proceeded out to the crucifixion. And along the way, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they made him carry Jesus' cross. And arriving at Golgotha, the place they call Skull Hill, they offered him a mild painkiller, a mixture of wine and myrrh. But when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. After they'd finished nailing him to the cross and were waiting for him to die, they whiled away their time by throwing dice for his clothes. Above his head, they'd posted the criminal charge against them. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Along with him, they also crucified two criminals. One to his right, one to his left. And then, and then people passing along the road, they jeered, shaking their heads in mocking lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and, and rebuild it in three days. Show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars and leaders, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, and he can't save himself. King of Israel is he. Let him get down from the cross. We'll all become believers then. He was so sure of God. Well, let him rescue his son now, if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Even the two criminals crucified next to him joined in on the mockery. From noon to three, the whole earth was dark. And around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And some bystanders who heard him, they said, He's calling for Elijah. And one of them ran, and they got a sponge, soaked it in sour wine, and they lifted it up on a stick so he could drink it. And the others joked, Don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus, crying out loudly, he breathed his last. In that last moment, the temple curtain was ripped into top to bottom. There was an earthquake, and the rocks were split into pieces. Just think about this for a moment, church. And parents, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail of what Jesus went through. The Roman soldiers, they stretched Jesus' arms out on the crossbeam, driving a large iron spike through each of his wrists. And they carefully placed it to carry the weight of his body while missing vital arteries. 
You see, when Jesus showed Thomas the marks in his hands, the Greek word that John uses can mean hand or arm. See, lifting him up, they they hung a crossbeam on the upright post and they nailed his ankles into place. The searing agony of iron splitting flesh and bone gradually gave way to burning pain in his shoulders and the pressure of muscles constricting his lungs, pushing with his legs and pulling with his arms to relax the pressures and fill his lungs with air and then sagging back down in exhaustion on the nails after each breath would have repeatedly exacerbated the pain in his ankles and his wrist. The up and down movement would have dragged the wounds on his back against the rough post and it would have drove the thorns of his crown deeper into his scalp. Church, it's impossible to imagine the all-encompassing pain of this torturous dance, which only worsened with each breath as they became shallower and more difficult. Instead of cursing his tormentors, Jesus prayed this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, church, it would be tempting to slip into an unbalanced Christology and take comfort in the thought that Jesus was somehow escaping the full impact of suffering due to his divine nature. Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact that God emptied himself and became fully human in Jesus means he was experiencing the full force of physical agony that comes with such a diabolical torture. Despite his faith and his promise to repentant man, Jesus still faced the tidal wave of despair as his life slowly slipped away. You know, many people who were crucified lingered for hours, even days on the cross. But Jesus, weakened by his beatings and the flogging, He lasted six hours. Six hours. You see, church, the initiation of this divine exchange by God, it was brutal. It came at a huge cost. Can you imagine if you were there? Or can you imagine if the story ended there? I wonder what it was like for those early followers I can't even imagine the sorrow and devastation they felt when Jesus breathed his last. I wonder how many were thinking, this this wasn't how it was supposed to end. He was our savior. He was supposed to change everything. We walked away from everything to follow him. What do we do now? This isn't what we signed up for. I want a redo. I want an exchange. You know, in those moments of breathing his last, Early followers didn't fully know the end of the story, like we do today. They were hurting. They were experiencing the pain of excruciating loss. And Peter, the most zealous of Jesus' followers, not only denied Jesus during the trial and crucifixion, but for a time he went back to fishing. It was a short time, but he went back to fishing. I wonder, up until the point that Jesus revealed himself to him, if Peter thought the story had ended at the cross. But church, the good news is this. The story did not end at the cross. Church, we don't get to experience the fullness of the divine exchange. We don't experience the freedom and power of the resurrection without the crucifixion. 
Church, there's a line in this song, Divine Exchange, that says, I lay down all lesser things for greater gain. He is alive inside of me. Jesus invites us to be crucified with him. He invites us to carry our crosses as we follow. He gave us eternal life that is now and not yet. He established the kingdom of God on this earth and within us as we put our trust in him. That's what he did. And all he asks of us is that we follow, we believe, and we obey. It's not about the rules. It's about embracing our identity as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. What lesser things do you need to lay down this morning? What is Jesus asking you to bring to the cross to trust him with this morning? What have you been holding on to that he's inviting you to exchange? Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's unbelief. Sometimes it's our desires over his. Sometimes it's pain and disappointment. As we go into communion, as we look back to the pain of the cross, but we look forward to the freedom of the resurrection, is there something in your life that needs to be placed on the cross and put to death so that you experience the life and the joy Jesus has to offer? For some of us, it's full submission of our lives for the first time ever. It's saying, Jesus, I'm tired of trying to navigate this life on my own, on my own terms. Today I come to the cross and my sin and my selfishness need to die. Forgive me. I accept your divine exchange. And church, because the gospel is this, we've been saved which is salvation. We're being saved, which is sanctification. And one day we'll all be saved when he returns or we meet him. That's glorification, right? That's the gospel. Because it's this, there's always going to be opportunity this side of heaven to exchange lesser things for greater gain. Friends, let's choose Jesus today. Ask him in this moment what you need to bring to the cross today in submission to him. Just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this moment. Because we don't get the freedom and the joy of the resurrection without the crucifixion. So we're going to finish our time today by sharing in a big family meal we call communion. This will be a time now for you to go and grab the bread and the juice or whatever you are able to find in your kitchen and pantry that will serve as a symbol as the body that was broken, right, and the blood that was shed. So I would go and grab that. And while you're doing that, I just want to set up our time. You see, in the Last Supper, Jesus was not only showing his disciples what was about to happen at his death and resurrection, he was inviting us all to participate in the new covenant that was made possible by that same death and resurrection. See, entering into covenantal oneness with Jesus means our lives will increasingly be shaped by his life. See, participating in this new covenant leads us to live as disciples who are learning the way of Jesus. And we're passing it on to others. See, it teaches us to multiply extended spiritual families so we can carry out Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost.
It empowers us to extend God's coming kingdom to the last and to the least. It assures us that Jesus has prepared a place for us in our Father's eternal family. See, Paul says that by eating the bread, we participate in Jesus' broken body. And he says by drinking the wine or the juice, we participate in his shed blood. See, this participation in Jesus' death is a picture of how we take up our cross to follow Jesus daily. See, this meal reminds us of our call to die to ourselves by being crucified with him so that we can also be raised with him and come alive to our true selves. Church, this is the cost of this divine exchange with Jesus. It's freely given to us as a gift of grace. See, we can never do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's far too expensive. But paradoxically, it costs us everything to accept such a priceless gift because we have to give up what keeps us from receiving the gift. It costs us our self-determination. So let's take a few moments to reflect and prepare our hearts. Church, we're going to partake together, and I want to read from Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 11. And this is what Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took some bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together, church. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, let's partake of the cup together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you initiated a divine exchange so that we could trade in lesser things for greater gain. It was a divine exchange that cost you everything. 
So today, as a church family, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you for the cross. We thank you because sin required a sacrifice. And you paid the ultimate price so that we all might be restored into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are forever grateful for who you are and what you've done, Jesus, and what's now true of us. And we thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.